Well, we're glad you're here. We're going to spend a little bit of time up front kind of laying out the path that we're going to try to take, although it's not, it's not totally scripted what we're going to do, but there are some elements of a script. So the first thing I really want to do is I just, uh, some of you have no idea who Jackie is. I was told um, at breakfast yesterday morning that some people specifically signed up for this simply because they don't know who Jackie is. They just want to see who she is, and then they won't come the next two nights. So anyway, this is my wife, Jackie. And so, Jackie, would you please tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, what you do? You can talk about our kids if you want. Okay. Um, and just kind of give a little general background of who you are, all that. So my name is Jackie, and I married a sinner. <laughs> and... Um, yeah. We're off to a great start. We're off to good start. Yeah. Um, let me think. Let's see. Um, so I'm married. I have two kids, uh, one of which is here tonight, and one in Chicago. And she's the one in Chicago is married. And um, let's see. I work at a church, not this one, but I have worked at a church for um, 26 years, North Phoenix Baptist Church. Um, we attended there. As uh, when we were when we were dating, and then um, also as young marrieds, and did some Bible studies and things there. And uh, I was basically born in that church. I started there in second grade, and um, so uh, so I've just been there for a long time. And then when Frank decided he was called to be a pastor, we um, shortly after that had to do internships and things like that. And so that's kind of how we got into other places and churches. And, um, but I've continued to work there um, the entire time um, in some capacity or other. Right now, um, I run the uh, Family Life Center, which is a gym and community center, basically. Um, so I run that and the programming and all the, the fun things that go with it. Uh, so that's my full-time job. I'm also a volleyball coach, um, and I've been doing that for before our oldest daughter was born, so probably 27 years or so, and I love it. Um, I wasn't at church this weekend because I also play volleyball, so I was at an adult tournament this weekend. I get to play in one or two a year, so it's just a lot of fun for me. So, um, anything else? So you didn't show up for church Sunday? I was not at church Mr. Sunday. Mr. Great Sermon. I heard. Tell us a yeah. little bit. How, how, let me ask this. How many of you are familiar with the Family Life Center at North Phoenix Baptist Church? It's a pretty big facility. Wow. They have a roller skating rink. Did you know that? Indoor track, gymnasium, all that stuff. First, <laughs> you have personal trainers. We have, yeah. We're group a gym. fitness we're classes. We're gym, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And a community center. So it's a, it's a fun combination of um, church and community and everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Unless no. I... Good. All right. We've been married for 30 and a half years, and um, I, I was not raised in the church. She was. I'm the first non-Christian she ever dated, but she did date me because we sort of had an agreement that I was going to go to church with her and try to figure out the whole Jesus thing, and, and um, she felt like uh, God, was, God had already figured out what he was going to do with me, and, and so yeah. it was a step of faith. She, it was not evangelical dating. It was just a step of faith, and um, it ended up working out pretty well. I never thought I was going to be a pastor, but now here I am. I also never thought I'd be teaching communication at a college, but here I am doing that, too. God has uh, some interesting ideas. Um, let me tell you a little bit about what we're going to do. We've been collecting questions from people, and then we started talking about how to handle the questions. 
And you're going to have an opportunity, if you want, tonight also to uh, text in follow-up questions for whatever topics we look at tonight. Um, and we'll see if we can get to those. It just depends. Again, uh, the script is really loose. We're not sure how far we'll be able to go. Um, but what we've done with the questions we've already received is we've put them into sort of categories. Um, and and uh, we're going to deal with tonight the, the, the category that got the most inquiries. And next week we're going to deal with a couple more categories that got like the second and third most inquiries and so on down the line, which means we may not get to a question that you specifically asked. Uh, we may not get to a question that you have for us on any one of the nights, even though you have a chance to send them in. Um, and, and so we would encourage you, if you're not getting your questions answered in the way that you'd like to, to hear, in, in a way that's helpful to you, um, uh, then, then try to reach out. I, I mean, you know, this is not the only tool. This, think of your marriage, your marriage tools as, a, as a, a, a bag of golf clubs. And this is like a seven iron these next three weeks. Not even Big Bertha. This is just a seven iron, okay? And, and so it's just one tool. Um, also, every time I've done marriage retreats and conferences and, and led those, I, I say this the very first night of those, and, and I'll say it to you as well. Um, there are going to be people at something like this uh, who've never been to anything like this, and you don't really know what to expect, and you hope that you'll get something good out of it, and your minds are kind of open, and you're just going to see what, what happens, and that's great. Um, then there are usually quite a number of couples whose marriages are in pretty good shape. They're, you're doing fine, and you recognize that something like this is a really helpful maintenance tool. That, that this is part of, this is again part of staying in touch and working on your marriage and being proactive about it. And that's really good too. I, I'm I'm glad for those couples and encouraged that that happens. Jackie and I do the same thing. Very intentional about making sure that we work on our marriage. Uh, then there's always a third, and I'm not going to call you out or anything, but I know you're out there. there. There's a third group of couples where literally, especially when it's a retreat, like we're doing, we're doing the retreat at the, at the camp in Iowa in two weekends. Uh, there will be couples there who have determined that if their marriage doesn't get fixed at the retreat, they're done. They're going to go home and file papers. And I, I would tell you that you're already done if that's the case if that's the way you're looking at your marriage. It's always fascinating to me that it'll take you 5, 10, 15, 20 years to get your marriage into trouble, and you're looking for a 45-minute session at a marriage retreat to get you out of trouble. You're just not being realistic. And, and so if you're in real big trouble, you need a lot of help over the course of quite a bit of time, and you need to be willing to invest in that. Uh, because here's what I can guarantee you. The person that you, um, that you go to in order to get away from the horrible person you're married to now is probably going to be worse than the one you're married to now, partly because they're now married to you because you're also a problem. So we're off to a good start tonight, right? How's your self-esteem? I, I want to make sure that, that, that you understand that marriage is hard, number one, and number two, we always have expectations of marriage that are way, that are unrealistic, that we don't place on any other relationship in our life, and therefore we let other relationships in our life get away with things that we would never 
think should, shouldn't happen in our marriage. We expect way too much sometimes out of our marriage, and we don't work hard enough at our marriage. And so I would just encourage you that, that, to think about these things. Now, what we're going to talk about over the next few weeks are going to be some topics that generally almost everybody deals with at some point in time. There's one question that we're going to start with next week that maybe not all of you deal with it, but you know somebody who's dealing with it, and so you should listen uh, to be able to help those people. So let me give you an idea of what we're going to do. Tonight, uh, we're going to be talking primarily about the, the vast area of sexual immorality, including digital addictions. So uh, betrayal, affairs, pornography, Facebook, Instagram. We're going to deal with forgiveness. That's going to be the first thing we talk about. And we're going to deal with therapy and counseling. Uh, for some of these things as well. That, we feel like, is going to take the whole night and probably won't get deep enough into it even just in one night. But you can see there's like three or four different topics embedded in there, but, but it's really one big topic that's a, that's a huge area. And that's the area we got the most questions and inquiries about. Uh, the second area was, um, was not surprising given our demographic, but every time I've asked for questions, it's never been uh, uh, such a high... Uh, volume of questions, but the second question we got, which we're going to spend some time next week on, is, is what do you do when you're in the first five to ten years of your marriage, you've got little kids and you both have big careers and you have no time, and, and you're under all kinds of pressure because of that. We got a ton of questions about that, and so we're going to talk a lot about that next week along with several other topics that we're going to uh, be looking at next week. Uh, we're going to, a number of people asked specifically about Ephesians 5. What does that mean? And I'm not talking about the first few verses. I'm talking about the wives submit to your husbands and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave, up, gave himself up for her. So we got a lot of questions about that. So you'll get a little preview about what's going to happen on Sunday morning. I don't know what, next fall, I guess it is <laughs> when we get there in Ephesians. Um, so we're going to talk about that. Uh, and, and I also got a number of questions uh, this was interesting to me. I got a number of questions, people just saying, what are the top three or four issues that you do pastoral counseling with uh, married couples on? What are, the, what are the top three or four issues that you, or what's the top issue that you see in that? So we'll talk a little bit about that as well. So um, we also decided not to read any of the questions out loud, maybe read an amalgamation of, of the questions, partly because we said we're receiving these questions anonymously and therefore, if we read a question word for word out loud, <clears throat> it might make somebody uncomfortable. And, and the spouse might go, oh, I know where that came from. And then that could <laughs> cause a problem as well. So um, we, we, I got a question that, that was talking, well, several, but one of them talking about um, a, a woman's uh, a husband's sex addiction. Now, the question didn't... Uh, the, this particular question didn't talk about specifically whether it was pornography or it was just that he, he is having a series of affairs, physical affairs with other women. Uh, and so we decided we should probably talk a little bit about both. Um, both are a problem. The bigger problem, frankly, is the pornography, which we'll get into. I have quite a bit of information about that. But um, uh, the question ended not about the betrayal, not about the sex addiction and, and, and all of that. The question ended with the feelings of betrayal, how do I rebuild trust and how do I forgive? That was where the question went. 
And so I want to start with that because even if people uh, who are dealing with, with these addictions and, these, and the sexual immorality didn't ask about forgiveness, that is an issue in your marriage when, when that comes up. Part of the, part of the issue is, is how do you trust and what do you do with the feelings of betrayal and, and how do you forgive and, and all of that. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. So anything you would have to add before I jump into some of that material? Um, sorry, this is not staying on very well. Um, it's fitted for my ear, that's the problem. So. <laughs> um, mostly that I didn't really prepare. I asked not to read the questions ahead of time because I wanted to just be able to speak from my heart. So um, you'll have to put up with maybe some stammering and things <laughs> or a moment of thinking. But um, I, that's just, I feel like I do better that way. So, um, so that's going to be kind of where I'm coming from. Um, and also, um, it was important to us to get your questions and to make you feel heard. And so if we don't directly answer your question, um, like Frank was saying, you can um, text it in tonight, like a follow-up question. So if it relates to the topics tonight and you feel like it didn't get answered, try again. And then if we still don't answer it, um, email us and let's, let's talk about it. Um, it's not that we have a problem with it. it it's probably just that um, it didn't fit in time-wise or, or whatever, because this is really short for what we're trying to accomplish. So. 75 minutes. Yeah. And now it's even less. Yeah. And, and like is it, you know, no, I'm saying that about me. Holy cow. It's funny. Yeah, you guys would like to see us battle it out, right? Yeah, okay. Um, and, and like she said, try to make the, the questions related to the topic that we're covering tonight. If anybody texts in anything like, why, why haven't the Blackhawks made the playoffs this year? We're, you know, that's, that's for some other time, <laughs> believe me. Uh, so let's, let's just go ahead and talk a little bit about forgiveness. Is, is forgiveness hard or easy? It's, it's really hard, isn't it? And, and it, we like it when other people forgive us, right? And, and we expect other people to forgive us, and, and very often we expect them to forgive us in a particular way, right? You may not necessarily say it out loud, but internally we go through this. We, we think, well, it would be really nice if they would, uh, if they would forgive us and, 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 and completely forget about everything that I did. And it would be really nice if, if we could just go back to the way things were before the betrayal or the, or the issue happened. Uh, and that's what we want, but then when it comes to time for us to do the same for others, there's always a yeah, but. Have you noticed that? There's always the yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Why is forgiveness so hard? Um, I would argue, by the way, if you've, ever, if you've ever heard a guy named David Augsburger, he's written a book uh, years ago, it's considered a classic now, called The Freedom of Forgiveness, and he talks quite a bit about this. I was able to take a seminary class from him, too. It was absolutely incredible, worth way more than the tuition I paid for it. Um, he says, and I would argue that this is true, I've talked to many people about this, the challenge with forgiveness is that we confuse forgiveness with two other things, which can't really happen. We, forgive forgive we, we uh, confuse forgiveness with justice, okay? In other words, um, we really want something bad to happen to the person that, that wronged us. We really do. We may not say that out loud, but we secretly wish that some, they would feel as bad as we do. Uh, and so David Augsburger calls that, what happens then is you end up getting into something called the negative spirals of downward reciprocity. Have you ever experienced, you don't have to raise your hand, have you ever experienced that in your marriage? The negative downward spiral of reciprocity, where 
one person does one thing and the other person says kind of, oh yeah, and then does this, and then the next person does this, and the next, and you get into this pattern, and it's, and it's like a plane that goes into a spin and you can't pull it out. At some point, somebody has to eat the offense and start the positive upward spiral. Who's going to do that? Well, not me. It's got to be them. I didn't start this. Their offense was bigger. Whatever. That's, that's one of the problems. So we confuse forgiveness with justice. Forgiveness is not justice. It's kind of the opposite of justice. Here's the other thing we uh, confuse forgiveness with. We want to be made whole. We want to be made whole. We want things to go back to the way they were before the offense happened. We've, we've been fragmented by the offense somehow. Something's been taken from us. We've been blown apart. And so the only way we can feel like forgiveness is working is if we've been made uh, whole. Uh, but again, you're never going to be able to do that. Forgiveness is hard. This is why it's a big deal that Jesus went to the cross. You think about Jesus on the cross. He did that so that we would have the forgiveness of our sins. Was he made whole on the cross? No, he was completely blown apart. He was completely obliterated. He was destroyed on the cross. His father turned his back on him on the cross. He was anything but made whole, but instead he ate the offense for us on our behalf. That's ultimately what forgiveness is. It's not fair. Of course it's not fair. It's not fair that Jesus went to the cross for us either. But this is ultimately what forgiveness is. It's, it's a, a decision that we make finally. Okay, I'm in this covenant relationship with you, and I love you, and I know you're not perfect. You're a sinner. I'm a sinner. I am going to go ahead and forgive you and, and eat the offense because you can't make me whole, and I don't wish justice for you. I don't wish that you would be executed in front of me or whatever it is that you might think is going to be justice. So that's why forgiveness is, is really, really trouble. It's, it's that we're saying, okay, you offended me, and now I'm not going to expect to be made whole or expect any justice for us. That's why it's really hard. But that's what Jesus did on the cross. Ephesians 4.32 says this, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's what we're actually called to do. Uh, then there's this issue of forgiving and forgetting. I am, I'm always shocked at the number of people who say, well, you haven't really forgiven uh, me if you, uh, if, if you don't forget about it as well. Now, now, do you understand that that is a physiological impossibility to forget? And that the only way you're going to be able to forget is if the Holy Spirit does some miraculous work in your life. So to expect somebody to forget it as well is, is just not a, a, an expectation that, that you should hold over anybody. The reason, though, that for that reason, the reason of not being able to forget things, this is why forgiveness is not a one and done. Forgiveness is a daily and sometimes hourly process. It's hard. Sometimes you have to say every hour to yourself, I forgive him, I forgive her. I forgive, you have to re-forgive and re-forgive and re-forgive and re-forgive. That's part of it, and that's really hard. But again, that's what uh, we're called to. Uh, and, and by the way, I think it's a gift that God has given us that we do remember things. Because if we don't remember things, uh, how, how, do you, how do you learn from mistakes and get better? How do you obtain wisdom if you forget things? 
And also, how do you protect yourself from going, into a, going back into a situation that you really never should go back into? Because there are those situations as well if you don't forget about, if, if you forget about things. You do need to remember some of these things. And so in a sense, it's also a gift that God has given us to be able to remember some of these things. Um, but don't use it as a weapon. That's, that's the challenge. That's the challenge. And then there are different levels of forgiveness. Now, obviously, in marriage, what we're looking for, again, covenant relationship is the highest level of forgiveness. But uh, a lot of people think that, that, that biblical forgiveness is, is one way and one way only. And again, that's not true. There is forgiveness, but you and I can't be in relationship anymore. There is that kind of forgiveness. Well, that's not really forgiveness if we're not in relationship anymore. Well, you can forgive somebody and not be in relationship anymore with that person because it's just not healthy for you to be in that relationship anymore. That's true. But you can forgive them. But a stipulation of forgiveness is not that we have to have the same relationship that we had before a betrayal happened. Then there's forgiveness and reconciliation. Forgiveness and reconciliation means... We're, we're, we're reconciled and we're back in relationship, but the relationship has changed and we acknowledge that. Does that make sense? And then there's like what you might call the third level of forgiveness where there's not only forgiveness and reconciliation, but there's also restoration where it is like nothing had ever, ever, uh, nothing had ever happened. There was no offense that ever happened. And sometimes married couples can do that with certain offenses as well, but not every offense. There are, you're going to be married for 30, 40, 50, 60 years. You're going to have offenses that are going to change your relationship, even though your relationship is filled with grace and forgiveness. And I'm a big advocate for being your relationship being filled with grace and forgiveness. But there are going to be uh, incidents in your relationship that will change your relationship. And, and reconciliation is a must, but restoration might be tough in certain cases. Your relationship will change as a, re as a result of, of what happens. Um, Jackie and I have been married 30 years, and, and we would say, I think we're on the same page. Well, she can dispute this. I told her she could dispute anything she wanted to dispute. But I think we're, we're, our marriage is better than it's ever been, and we've had a great marriage for years and years and years. And it's better than it's ever been right now. We're in a real sweet spot, and it keeps getting better. But it doesn't mean that we haven't had violations and issues that have changed the course of our relationship over the years, and that mistakes haven't been made, and, and that we come to each other sometimes years after the mistake, on our, metaphorically on our hands and knees, begging for forgiveness and realizing what a huge mistake we had made at that time. But we learn from those mistakes, and, and as James says in uh, James uh, chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, we learn perseverance and patience and endurance and steadfastness from uh, those mistakes. And then Jesus says this as well, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He's not saying this as a condition of salvation. Don't, don't make that mistake. This is not a condition of salvation. He's talking as if you're already saved, and that's what you're supposed to do as a Christian. You are supposed to forgive just as Christ has forgiven you on the cross. That's what we're called to in this covenant relationship. So I'm going to shut up now and let Jackie 
uh, have a little rebuttal on the forgiveness issue. And Stephanie, is there a way maybe we could turn the air down a little bit? It's warm in here. At least it is for me. I don't know if it is for anybody. Other people are saying, yes, it's warm. She's to go downstairs. Um, is there a specific question, or do you just want me to? Talk a little bit about forgiveness and, and, and how you see it. And well, um, I think we're incredibly selfish, and it gets us in a lot of trouble. So um, almost every um, issue or whatever we've ever had comes straight from selfishness from one of us or the other. Sometimes both of us, and it makes it for a really great storm when it's both of us. Um, so I think that it, as, you, as you look at forgiveness, you obviously look to Christ to see how forgiven we are because we, we're so undeserving of all of that, and, and it does make it easier to forgive when you look at it in that light. Um, and so even in times when, um, when it's really hard to forgive or I don't even feel like forgiving, um, that's where I go. I go to the fact that, that I've been given such forgiveness. And, um, and it's a choice every day. You know, you choose every single day. Some days it's super easy to choose. <laughs> and some days it's really hard to choose to, to keep forgiving and keep forgetting um, in that way of forgetting. Um, but, but, yeah, I mean, ask me a question. Okay, I'm going to be so, better with a question. Um, or you ask me a question. Yeah. Somebody ask me a question. Um, so <laughs> I, I will say this about, about Jackie. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the years about Jackie is that um, she forgives me for things that she never brings up with me and then just moves on with her life a lot. There are a lot of things that she'll absorb and she'll think about it. I know she does. And then she makes a decision. Am I going to bring this up and talk to Frank about it? Or am I going to forgive him and let it go and move on? And she's really good at absorbing a blow, thinking about it, forgiving, and then moving on. And here's why that's helpful in our relationship. When she does come to me and she says, I have something that we need to talk about, in my mind, I'm not thinking, hey, whiz, you bring everything to me. I'm done. If everything's important, then nothing's important. When she does come, I recognize it's really important, and I need to listen, and we need to figure it out. Uh, there are, uh, there's a researcher named John Gottman uh, who's been doing this for 45 years, and his work is incredible. You can look him up on the Internet. Uh, he will tell you that one of the biggest problems with couples is that there are couples that don't know how to just absorb stuff and let it go. They want to bring up everything. They want to be mad about everything. They want to be offended about everything. Mm -hmm. and, and it's impossible to live with somebody. It's just impossible to live in any relationship with somebody like that, you will destroy the relationship for the sake of this perceived perfection that you think you can, yeah. you can achieve. And I would say that in the beginning of our marriage, you know, we did have more conversations like that where it was like, well, everything has to be fixed. You know, every, everything has to be fixed or we can't move forward from this point. Um, or, you know, we can't, we can't go to bed without this solved. You know, I hear that. I hear that a lot. And I, I recognize that the, those words are in the Bible. Um, but there is this level of letting things go because not every hill has to be died on. And if you decide to die on every hill, you will die and <laughs> literally want to die. 
because this is this marriage thing that you picked is kind of the biggest decision you've made in a really, really long time. And so if you choose to slaughter it constantly, um, you'll be sorry forever <laughs> that you did it, that you handled it that way. So I wouldn't say we were perfectly great at that every minute of the day, but, um, but for certain, over time, um, we got much better at it. And, and each of us started to decide exactly what, what do I absorb because I know who you are and I know how you love me, and I know what you think. And so just because you said it in a way that I don't get right now or whatever, it may not be worth the conversation. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait till tomorrow, and I'm going to see where it goes to and how it plays out a little bit. And, um, and, and it was just so much better that way. It's not, it's not sweeping things under rugs. It's not, it's not that. It is actually just saying, maybe I'm perceiving this wrong because I'm not a perfect person and maybe I'm in a mood and maybe, you know, maybe it's me. What? You know, it couldn't possibly be me, <laughs> you know, and so I guess just um, handling that each time and deciding really, is this a forever decision we're making right now or is this a, a momentary thing that, um, maybe is not actually as important as I'm making it out to be right this second. Uh, one thing she said in there, I don't know if you heard that, she said, okay, I know who my spouse is. Did you hear that? That's a big deal. Okay, I, I know who my spouse is. Maybe there's something going on external to my spouse right now that is causing him or her to behave or communicate in a way that I'm not happy about. And I just need to let that go because that stress or that tension, that circumstance, that context will pass eventually and they'll go back to being who they are. Jackie will also tell you, I've heard her say this, I also know who Jesus is. So if, if you know who Jesus is and you know who your spouse is, you know, sure, there are some things that you don't avoid, that you don't, that you don't let go, but it makes those things a lot easier to do. And so that's a big deal. Know, knowing that you're in, it's a covenant relationship, you're in it for the long haul, who your spouse really is, that your spouse really does love you, and knowing who Jesus is, and that's where the power comes from. That's a big deal. So. And the handling of that, you know, um, it makes a difference to my husband if I handle it a certain way that's re respectful, even though I'm mad or right. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I handle that <laughs> respectfully, as if as I would want it to be handled with me, um, really works, because then the next time he will listen more, and it's not just a, a, a quick like, oh, now I'm mad, and, and now we're going to have to get through the mad part so that we can get back to the part we really wanted to talk about. Um, we, we handle that better every time, too. On the, on the third night, we're going to talk about conflict resolution, style strategies, and behaviors and, and issues. So we're going to get more into specific conflict resolution because that was one of the bigger questions that we got uh, also. But you're already starting to hear some of those, some of those um, items being brought up now. So um, let me, oh, here you go. Um, I can't get through something like this without at least one or two pop culture references. So um, I want to show you a clip. I, I, I don't, don't start it yet. Uh, I will just tell you, I, this may be my favorite uh, two minutes and 45 seconds ever from uh, on any television show ever. Um, and the reason is because it came from a place that I, I would never expect them to turn to scripture to, to fix a problem in a show. 
but this show did this. And I remember watching it for the very first time. I was watching it with Darby, our youngest daughter, the very first time both of us saw it. And at the end of it, we were both just absolutely a mess, weeping. Um, but it's America's favorite television couple. It's Jim and Pam Halpert. So here you go. <laughs> Sorry that I have to go, but let's keep at this, okay? Okay. All right, have a good trip. Bye. Love suffers long and is kind. It is not proud. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never fails. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So I would argue that in that moment, um, Pam remembered who Jim is, and then she also got instruction from the scriptures. And uh, so I, that was just especially powerful, and you can apply that. So you can apply the office to your theological life. I think that's exciting. So um, is it okay if we now talk about sex, specifically sex addiction? And I've done, this is going to sound weird. I've done a lot of research on pornography. Okay, uh, on the effects of pornography and what it does, and I and I would like to share that with you because I know this is a this is an issue. We've had uh, uh, three of three of the um, questions that were submitted mentioned that somebody was was attending SSA, so Sex Addicts Anonymous. That's become a big deal now. Um, I don't know if you realize that, but it's a serious uh, addiction. It's not an obsession. It's not just something that people like. It's actually a, a chemical addiction, and so. I want to spend a little bit of time just talking about it and see if we can't make some headway on that and even open up some conversations about it. Because 
we know that it's an issue with a lot of people. And by the way, not just men. Um, the, the statistics on women now getting involved in um, uh, viewing pornography as, uh, as an addiction are, are quite startling as well. Um, so let me ask this, what, what might be some triggers for pornography? I don't know that I'll get any responses whatsoever from this, but what, what might trigger somebody to decide that they want to go and just start looking at pornography? Stress. Thank you. That was first on my list. What else? Yeah, so a, a, a rut or a routine. Can, can I just say right now that if, if, that's a, if that's the case, you're not communicating. I know a lot of people don't want to talk about sex in their relationship. You got to talk about it. You have to have conversations about it. I know it might be awkward at times, but you need to talk about it. Um, so rut or a routine. What else? Uh, well, yeah, you, just unha general unhappiness, which actually leads, the, the problem with this is that we're all unhappy from time to time, and, and so, you know, we're going to turn to certain things, but what the unhappiness does is that we, we have this entitlement nature that we say, okay, I'm unhappy, uh, I deserve to be happy, this is the only thing I can think of right now that might make me happy, and so that's what we turn to it. It's an entitlement, Okay. Uh, find me the verse that says God says you're always supposed to be happy. I'd love to read that verse. Uh, people are always throwing that in my face, but they can never find it in the Bible. Okay? Uh, I, I can find the verses that essentially say suck it up and get over it. You know, they're all over the place. I'm paraphrasing, but, you know. So unhappiness. How about fatigue? By the way, when... when it, Think about when you guys uh, fight most often, or married people fight most often. Is it when you're well-rested and not stressed? It, it's, uh, the people I talk to who have conflict, it's usually at night, late night. That's usually when the conflict happens. What are some other triggers? Anybody else? Isolation. Isolation. And idleness. We've had a lot of, um, been through this with a lot of people, and I'll, one of the biggest things that we have found over and over is that um, husbands, I'm just going to start with that one, um, husbands go to pornography when there's no sex in their marriage, and so they go to pornography because then it feels like that's a safe and probably okay place to go to, and it's better than an affair. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in less trouble and, and cause less problems in my marriage if I go to pornography instead. And so, and then the less sex comes from lack of talking to each other because, you know, you're angry or you've, you've had some problem or whatever and you, and you never resolve it in any way, and so now you're secretly kind of angry all the time, just underlying and so then that the first thing that happens is your sex life goes down because it's, it's intimate and, and you don't want to be in that situation if you don't feel like it, if it, you know, if it feels weird and forced and, and all those things. So which kind then, of which, which then makes matters worse. Right. Yeah. Because if you're a couple and you're not, you know, God created you to have sex, you're sexual beings. And if, you, and if you're not, if you're married and you're not having sex, that's a bigger problem than your conflict and your chores and your parenting and the money, that's a bigger problem. Most people don't realize that 
Most people don't want to acknowledge that, but that's actually a bigger problem. So this is a trigger for a lot of different things too. But I'd also say, just I, I put this up. You have to understand, males are image-driven creatures, much more than females. And, and, and we're just bombarded daily with images that can lead us down the wrong path. You know, you, you start with the Victoria's Secret catalog, and the next thing you know, 90 minutes later, you have no idea how you ended up where you are on a particular, I hear that story all the time. Well, I never intended to go to this, this site. Well, no, of course you didn't, but you started with something else. Jackie, one year, years ago, um, I don't know, maybe second or third year we were, we were married, um, she got me for Christmas, you know, the Sports Illustrated um, uh, subscription, Magazine, yeah. not, not that one issue. She got me the <laughs> subscription. Instead of stocking. But, but that one issue would always come you know, the swimsuit issue. And so for a couple of years, I, I, I was, I'm always the one who gets the mail. And so I would grab it and I would hand it to her and say, I, I just don't need that. And, and then finally, we just canceled the subscription. Um, you know, because you can get sports uh, uh, on the internet now, so it doesn't matter. But, but you know, just guarding yourself is, is, is a big, is, is a way of doing it too. Uh, conflict, I had that written down. Uh, here you go, for guys especially, feeling uh, disrespected or unappreciated. If a guy feels disrespected or unappreciated, and sometimes it doesn't take much for a guy to feel that way, that's one of the first things that he will turn to is, is uh, pornography. And then there's just this general sense of hopelessness as well. You know, and that would be um, kind of the no sex, isolation, uh, you're, in, you're, you're in a low-grade conflict constantly. Okay, so those might be some... Uh, of the triggers. Now, here's one of the things that, that we, we have to try to get at. Hang in there with me on this. First of all, the male brain is a visual, image-driven brain. We are much more interested in this stuff than women. Now, women are getting more interested in it for whatever reason. Sometimes it's because their husbands are dragging them into it, saying this will help our marriage, which is very unhealthy, and don't fall for that. Um, Nevertheless, men see pornography way different than women do. Uh, we are aroused and stimulated by the oddest parts of female bodies. We could get into that. There's fetishes. There's all of that stuff. You can see an ankle, and that drives you crazy. I'm telling you, this is the way men are. An ankle, a hand, whatever it is. Okay, females are like, there isn't anything about the, well, here you go. Just play that. One more pop culture thing, I promise. Oh, great, Elaine. What is wrong with my body? Chicken wing shoulder blades. That's it? No, but that's one problem. Why? Well, I was walking around naked in front of Melissa the Whoa. other day. Walking around naked? Uh, that is not a good look for a man. <laughs> Why not? It's a good look for a woman. Well, female body is a, a work of art. The male body is utilitarian. It's for getting around. It's like a Jeep. So you don't think it's attractive? It's hideous. The hair, the lumpiness, it's simian. Well, someone would like it. Mm, sickies. 
See, the reason I like Seinfeld is that they deal in rea the realities of life. I mean, that's just true. That's the way a lot of us uh, look at this stuff. Um, but here's this. This is now. This is really serious. Here's the problem. What happens uh, when a man is viewing pornography, and I don't, I don't know any delicate way of saying this. I'm sorry, but he's got his pants down. Okay. Uh, when that happens. Dopamine is released in your brain. That's the same thing that gets released when you take an opioid or if, you're, if you like cigarettes when you smoke a cigarette or, or if you like uh, a lot of vodka when you drink vodka. It's your pleasure center and it's a chemical and it's highly, highly addictive. And so you start doing that, that you get the, the shot of dopamine and you begin to create what neurologists will call in your brain a neural pathway, and they compare it to a trough. In other words, it's, you're, you're starting to wear a groove, certain grooves in your brains, and, and the neurons start to demand the dopamine. The more you do it, the more it demands the dopamine. That's what the addiction is. You are chemically addicted to pornography. This is not an obsession. It's not just it's not just something you like to watch. You are addicted now to a substance, and the substance is in your brain, and it's the sub same substance that you get from other acts of pleasure. That's the problem. And Satan knows this, and he's using this wonderful tool uh, to be able to suck you down uh, into this. And, and it's hard to stop. It's really difficult to stop. If you want a really helpful book, uh, read the book Wired for Intimacy. It's a couple of psychiatrists who talk about uh, the neural pathways and the, the troughs that get developed uh, because of the dopamine. And this is true of any addiction, but they're talking specifically about um, pornography. Now, um, the problem with these troughs, here you go, is that you can't simply stop doing it. You actually have to start developing other troughs with healthy items. Uh, I had a friend who once uh, had a $30,000 a year cocaine habit, and, and this was in the 90s when 30 grand was a lot of money, okay? And, and he was able to stop cocaine, but he had to start doing something else. He actually became addicted to golf. And he was playing golf four or five times a week. Think about a round of golf four or five times a week. That's five hours, a hundred bucks, four or five times a week, okay? And his wife said, yeah, it's better than cocaine, but the reason he was able to get off the cocaine was because you actually have to develop alternate troughs. That's the way it works. Now, I want you to think about this, okay? Uh, the Apostle Paul knew this before we knew anything about psychology, psychiatry, neurology, or physiology. He knew this when he wrote, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, he knew this when he wrote in, a, in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Listen to this. Finally, beloved... Whatever's true, whatever is honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's lovely, whatever's commendable, if there's any, any, any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, set your mind on these things. This is the biblical version of create healthy troughs in your mind. Set your mind on these things. What you have heard and learned and received and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You can't Get a, you cannot stop pornography by, uh, uh, you can't stop the addiction of pornography by just kind of pulling up your bootstraps and saying, I'm just going to have th the will to stop. 
you actually have to start developing other habits that are good. You have to start developing new neural pathways. And it's a process, and it's hard. That's why you should never get started in the first place. How many of you have never, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have never taken your first hit of meth because you've heard the stories that you're addicted from the first hit? Guess what? You're addicted from the first time you go to, to, to a porn site, too. You can't control this thing. It's, it is a trap. It is a terrible trap. In, in 1830, Thomas Chalmers wrote an essay. You should write this down, too, and read it. It's a tough essay to get through, but the point he makes is exactly what Paul is saying. Uh, the title of the essay is The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. Here's what he's saying. You can't just use morality to stop your bad habits. It doesn't work. The only way you have power to be able to overcome something is in the gospel to go and seek the healthier thing. You have to not only stop this, but you have to go and start doing that. Why do you think Paul never says just don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this? Paul is always saying don't do this, but instead do this. Don't lie, but tell the truth. You see that? That's the power of the Holy Spirit in, in all of that writing. Um, by the way, I don't mean to scare anybody, but it's just something to, th to consider. If you think it's bad now, it's about to become apocalyptic, virtual reality porn. It's just going to get worse. Um, Nicholas Carr, in his most recent book, The Glass Cage, um, <clears throat> he makes the point that corporations uh, are, exist primarily for one reason, and that is to make a profit. We're just never going to get around that. If you don't have anybody making any money, you don't have an economy, you don't have corporations. So they're in, they're in, they're doing what they're doing to make a profit and it's a powerful motivator. And then you have consumers who frankly were in life to be pleasured. Now think about this. He makes this point. He says when you combine the power of profit with the power of pleasure, corporations and consumers, when you combine those two, it is an unstoppable force. Corporations know how destructive this pornography stuff is. They're not going to stop. They're not going to stop. It's going to be up to us to stop. We could get rid of all the strip clubs if, if, if women would, would just quit dancing. Why do they dance? Incredible amount of money. Mm -hmm. you, you make in one night what you might make in three months as a barista at Starbucks. So we have to stop at some point. Somebody has to decide, I'm going to stop and I'm not going to uh, worry about somebody else. And then, and then just, I want you to think about this. This is going to be really, really hard for some of you to hear. But it's true and it's not an excuse. Um, Jackie kind of alluded to this already. For most guys, this isn't that personal. Doesn't mean that the wife or the woman isn't taking it personally, and it isn't emotionally devastating to her. But for most guys, it's not personal and it's not emotional. It's just something to do. And they're addicted, and they really don't, they're hidden, they know it's wrong, but they also are thinking, I don't really see what the big deal is. There's not an association that they have the way women have uh, with it. So 
here you go, women. You're, you're not only fighting this addictive power, but you're also fighting this disassociative um, situation in the male brain that's kind of going, it's, it's not that big of a deal. But it is a big deal to you, right? It's a betrayal. It's an emotional problem. And I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying this as an excuse. I just have to say, this is what we're dealing with. And guys, for those of you that think it isn't that big of a deal, it is a big deal. Yeah. It is a big deal to your wife, a much bigger deal than you realize. And you're also destroying your own life uh, engaging in, in this stuff. It's not, it's not good. Can I yeah. add in? Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so what do we do, right? It sort of feels it's this huge thing and all this stuff is happening. It feels scary and it feels like it's inevitable and um, that you're going to have to deal with it at some point. So I, I, as I've talked with younger women and girls about to get married and things like that, I, I always say hit it head on. Just, just go into it understanding that this is a potential issue and this is... Um, something that your husband or boyfriend or whatever is going to is going to be facing every day and they may not want it but it's still a reality in their life and it's still a hard thing for them to handle and so why couldn't we help them with that why couldn't we help take it on for them and do things for them that would help them to not have to face it so much um, and so that's kind of how I've always um, handled it, even in our marriages, just to be like, well, I, I understand this is a real thing. I think we want to think that we're the exception all the time to things, and you're not. You are not the exception. Um, you're probably the rule. So get awake and aware of it and ready for it because you might have to deal with it. So think about when you met this person, what did you do? What, how did you handle that? What did you look like? What did you do to, to be in that position to find this person that got attracted to you? What was that? And, and stop you know, worrying about your feminist issues about things like this and, and recognize that he chose you for a reason. And so look back at that reason and, and be willing to continue that reason. If, if you, you know, met on a mountain somewhere in a cave and you had a bun and he fell in love with you, go for it. <laughs> That's what you need to keep up. You had a cave and a bun? <laughs> like, whatever. I'm just saying, you know, we, we also then get married as women and say, well, he's got to accept me the way I am. And he's got to, you know, we're married now and he's just locked in. And, you know, well, okay, yeah. But the reality of that is not that that's what's going to happen. And it doesn't matter if you're a Christian, I'm afraid. I wish it did. It helps. It helps for sure because you have two people who are Christians going in the same direction, believing the same things, working on the same things. But the fact is you live in a fallen world and you're going to have to deal with it. So go be that thing that you were when you met. Now, you're going to change over time. Everybody changes over time. But if, I, but if I'm, I'm trying to meet those same needs that I, I um, put up there in the front that said I would do and I would take care of and I'm, and I'm here for, um, then he's going to handle my changes better. And I'm going to handle his changes better because we're still working together to try to take care of each other in every possible way. And one of them is helping them with this thing, helping them with their eyes. So be the thing that their eyes settle on, not allowing it to get somewhere else. Does that make sense? Um, she made me think of a passage. I know it's, it's, we're, we might use the Bible occasionally. So. 
Um, this is Proverbs chapter 5. Um, Solomon is talking to his son, and he says this, uh, Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Uh, now, he's not talking to his son who is just working out in the fields and is hot and thirsty. Okay, this is metaphor here. Do you understand what I'm talking about? And if you don't, talk to me afterwards, and Jack will explain it to you, okay? <laughs> um, then he says, Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for, her, for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Okay. Okay. Jackie and I have been married for 30 years. How do I rejoice in the, in the wife of my youth? Everything that she just said. We work on our relationship. We have gospel eyes. She looks in the mirror and she wonders, why does Frank still find me attractive? I look at her and... And I can't keep, literally, I can't keep my hands off of her. I can't. And she's embarrassed right now, but it's true. I look in the mirror, and I go, oh, my gosh, this is, this is not going well right now. <laughs> and yet she chooses to be with me. There's something about the power of the gospel that does that, and that's what's going on here. Uh, let your fountain be blessed and in, rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. That's what happens when you have uh, gospel eyes. But there is this very real battle between the flesh and the spirit. How many of you have read the second half of Romans 7, for instance? Paul, the apostle, the great the super Christian, the greatest Christian who ever lived, okay, and he's admitting, the very things that I want to do, I don't do those things. The things I don't want to do, they're the things I find myself doing. This is the guy who wrote a third of the New Testament, admitting he struggles in this war between flesh and spirit. What's his answer? Does anybody know how that passage ends? What's his answer? That's right. That's right. 7, 24, and 25. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's a guy who understands the gospel. It's not me, it's God. I'm a problem, God isn't, he saves me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul writes this, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. You're not the only one. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, if you don't want the escape, he's not going to provide it. I, there are a lot of people I work with in addictions, and one of the first questions I'll ask them, I'll look them right in the eye, and I will say, whatever the addiction is, it doesn't matter what it is. It could be porn, it could be cocaine, it could be uh, alcohol. And I'll look them in the eye, and I will ask them, I will say, do you want to stop this addiction? I need to know, do you really want to stop? And some of them will go, well, yeah, of course I want to stop. That's why, that's why I'm here. What do you think I'm here for? And I go, no, 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 no. I don't want you to give me the yearbook answer. I want you to be honest with me. Do you really want to stop? The number of people who will stop and think about it and then look at me and say, not really, I like it. Okay, God's not going to help you out there. You have to come to a place of brokenness before God's going to be ready to help you. Then he will start to supply you with the power and the ways out of it. But, but it's going to be hard, some hard work. You have to put some skin in this game. That's what Paul is saying there. Uh, James 1, 2, and 3, you guys hear me quote this all the time. Consider it all joy when you encounter trials of various kinds. 
that word trials can be, t can be translated not only as challenges and suffering, but also it's translated in other places in the New Testament as temptations. Consider it all joy when you encounter temptations of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith will produce perseverance. The testing, the, 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 the difficulty of going through a trial, it's going to be hard. But, but it, with the gospel power, you can do it. A couple other things, and then I want to mention some digital, some ideas about digital communication. Then we'll turn it back over to Jackie, and we will have handled that whole topic for tonight. And we'll get some questions from you. Um, pornography, just like all other addictions, has a law of diminishing returns. Part of the reason why you do it uh, is because that first time was so magnificent, you're trying to replicate that again. What happens when you try to replicate something? You start to go after more and more base, I don't know the word to say, but this is how you end up in things like child pornography or gay pornography, whatever it is that you would never, right now you're thinking, there's no way I would ever be there. And then six months later you find yourself there because that, 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 that um, neural pathway is demanding more dopamine and you can't get it because you've built up a, a, a resistance against it. You're impervious to it. I was talking to a lady last week. I can't remember who it was. She said she was at a conference for like the insurance business. She's sitting at the conference, and she's sitting next to a man. He's got his laptop open, and he's just watching porn. And he's got his pants on. He's just watching porn, just sitting there watching it during the conference. He can't even exist without just porn running in the background now. He's impervious to it. Okay? So you have to understand how, the, how this stuff works. To, and, and if you're scared, I, I, I want you to be a little scared about this. Because it's really, really serious. This is where... You don't want your life to end up here. Here you go. You may need some clinical help. You may need to go to somebody that you're going to have to pay money to to help you with this. Well, that's a sign of weakness. I disagree. I think the weak people are the ones that won't submit to, to getting help. I think it takes strength to actually admit you have a problem and go get some help. Uh, I, I, I think that's, that's just, here you go. Ephesians 5.25 is not for weaklings. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Well, that makes me a weakling. No, it's not. The strong man is the one who can do that. Um, and you can't tell me that Jesus was weak. Because Jesus was the strongest guy who ever lived. I mean, he went to the cross. Now, one other thing I want to mention of this digital addictions. This is not just pornography, by the way. This whole area of digital addictions is growing and getting worse and worse and worse. Some of you have issues in your marriage with Facebook and Instagram, don't you? You may not admit it out loud again, but you do. Um, again, uh, Nicholas Carr talks about that combination of profits and pleasure. It's, it's terribly powerful. In 2016, Google did a massive research. And if, by the way, if anybody has access to data, uh, it's Google, right? Okay, so they did this massive research project. They published the top 10 addictions in the United States. Facebook and Instagram were in the top 10. People are addicted to social media. They don't like it. They're not just obsessed with it. They're addicted to it. When you get a like, when you get a heart, when you get a star, when you get a, when you get a ding, you get a zing, whatever it is, it's dopamine. They've done the studies. I got, I got 11 likes on a tweet last night. My dopamine center was going crazy. Okay? 
it's, it's, a, it's a chemical addiction, this social media stuff. I'm not saying get rid of social media. But at times, you've got to put down your stinking phone and just be with people. Okay? You understand, uh, I, I, talking to somebody else last week, this one blew me away. Um, and the whole question of kids and phones uh, should come up at some point. Um, he said, um, my son's coming home from the first grade claiming that he's one of the only ones that doesn't have a phone and he's mad. All the first graders, these are six-year-olds at recess on the playground all huddled around their phones. Okay? Okay, that's bad parenting. Okay? That's just bad parenting. And, and no, it's convenient parenting. I don't have to deal with a little sucker. Okay? That's bad parenting. All right? That's a, that's a problem. Um, Facebook is now the number one cause of marital affairs. Facebook. It used to be workplace romances. And by the way, um, 2006, I believe, was the year. I can go back and look it up if you want. 2006 was the first year that more married women had affairs than married men that, since they've been keeping these statistics. And the reason is because of social media. The reason is because of social media. Uh, again, I'm not saying get rid of all this stuff. I'm just saying you need to recognize some of these dangers and these real addictions. Okay, go ahead. I, I was just thinking that this, again, I, so much of this comes down to um, facing things in the beginning, not um, hoping or, or just thinking that, you know, this isn't going to affect us or me or whatever. This is the same thing, uh, you know, with, with Facebook and Instagram. And, and I think for women especially, uh, it's uh, more addictive to us because um, it's very relational and, you know, we get to talk and, you know, show our kids and, you know, and all this stuff. And so I, I think it's especially hard on us um, or can be. And so, again, it's just um, it, it, it's making decisions beforehand. Um, my mom used to always say to me, you know, because I, I would have to stay home from school by myself in the afternoons while she was working. And she would go over with me a plan what I would do. You know, what would you do if someone knocked on the door? What would you do if someone actually got into the house? What would you, you know, and she would go through this routine with me, and I would have to tell her what I would do, and if, I, if she didn't like some part of it or whatever, she'd help me with it, or, you know. It's the same thing with your marriage. Plan ahead. What do you, what do you want it to look like? What do you want to do? What are you going to do? And if you have some plans ahead of time, like, um, we're not going to have our phones at the table, and we're going to look each other in the eye, and we're going to talk, and whatever, you know. Um, just recently, Frank and I recognized that we were sitting on the couch on our phones together, watching a show. Watching Netflix. And we were like, what are we doing? <laughs> and so we've made a pact now, about, I don't know, three weeks ago, that we wouldn't be on our phones sitting on the couch together. I moved the... I so moved now her the, feet are in my hands yeah. instead, so... <laughs> It's been so. good for her. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess what I'm saying is with all of this, all, kind of everything we were, we're covering tonight is, is talk about it. Have a plan. What do you want it to look like? Don't just hope it happens for you. What do you want it to look like? And it's the only way that's going to happen is if you talk about it and you make a plan for it. Um, and I know it sounds like it's um, not spontaneous or romantic, but actually it's more romantic 
because then you have somebody who's working that out with you and, and trying, and you get to see, you know, your spouse working with you and, and wanting something with you at the same time, and, and you're working together towards one thing, and it's, it is very romantic. Um, for years, uh, and I have no illusions about my attractiveness or what any, that anybody would want me, but for years, I have always, I have always had, I like, I teach um, uh, communication at Paradise Valley Community College, and right out of the gate, the first thing that those students know is that I have a wife, and I think she's incredible, and, and I'm very happily married. I don't want anybody thinking at any moment, at any time, that I have a vulnerability. I let them know right up, uh, right up front. Um, when I was, when we were in the marketplace, years ago before I, be I became a pastor and we were in the marketplace and we traveled for business, if I sat down next to somebody, some woman who was attractive, if we started talking, if somehow that conversation got going, the first thing I would do is I'd start talking about Jackie. I'd start talking about my wife. Um, the reason I'm saying that is this, this, this idea of planning ahead. Having a plan, knowing how to prevent the problem before it ever starts. Uh, Tom Schrader calls this pre-decide your decisions. If, if, if you're single and you're going you're gonna to wait until you're in the bedroom with the guy on your first date to decide whether or not you're going to have sex with him, you're already done. You have to pre-decide that decision. You have to decide before you get in the car with him uh, um, to go on the date. You have to have a, that already worked out in your mind. If you wait on that stuff, it's just going to happen. And it's the same thing in marriage. If, if you don't protect your marriage and guard against your marriage, it will happen. Because it, we live in a fallen world, and those things happen. So, mm -hmm. Do you have any questions? Has anybody submitted any questions? Yeah? What do you got? Uh, if you're not married yet but dating, engaged, uh, does choosing to forgive versus breakup change? Should you overlook certain things or talk about everything? Are there different lines... Drawn in dating versus marriage. Yes. <laughs> okay. All right, I'll say my thing. Uh, here, here you go. Uh, stuff that you're worried about now when you're dating, here you go. This is the rule. This is a hard and fast rule. It never changes. It, 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 there is 100%. That stuff gets worse after the wedding. That stuff gets worse after the wedding. So if it's a problem now, you still have an out. You haven't made a covenant relationship with this person. It's going to be hard and hurtful and wah and all that stuff. And people are going to talk about you on social media. I get all of that, okay? But you haven't made that covenant relationship now. And you can forgive them and not be in relationship with them. Remember we talked about that. What do you think about that? Um, I would say I would want to know why you're dating them. If, if you are dating them for fun or whatever, then, um, then I, you know, I guess I just, I'm not that concerned. <laughs> but if you're dating this person because there's potential for marriage, then I say, yeah, you try to follow marriage rules because if you're considering marrying this person, then get after working on it, figuring those things out, pre-deciding, giving them grace, all these things. Yes, if this is someone you're considering marrying or you think they're worthy of marriage, then yeah, treat it like marriage. Forgiveness. Um, and then what's the Next should you one. Oh. What is someone's role in their partner's healing and sexual addiction if the partner is slow to reach out for help from others? 
should the lack of seeking help be something that ends a relationship? Um, yeah, I thought we might get into this a little bit tonight, as a matter of fact. Mm -hmm. um, this is really common, I've, run, I've, I've found. This is a really common problem. Um, the number of people who would like to get, the, the number of couples where one wants to get counseling and the other one doesn't is astoundingly high and it's a big problem. Uh, and usually uh, it's for two reasons. One, they, they believe. They uh, can't see. One is they believe it's a sign of weakness if they have to get counseling or have to see somebody or have to talk to somebody about their problems. Uh, or number two, um, there's something deeper going on where they really don't want to, they don't necessarily want to confront the problem and change. It's just easier to kind of rock along uh, where they are and, and hope for the best, which you can't drift towards goodness. You just can't drift towards it. Uh, you, you're not going to be able to do that. So... Um, Years, go ahead, and then maybe we'll talk about I thought about you pointed at me like talk. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> um, obviously, this is excruciating if you're asking this question, right? It's excruciating. Um, and what is your role as the partner um, is just that. You're a partner. Um, you don't get to, you know, tap out. You chose it. You're in it. And if you want it to be anything ever good again, then you stick in it and you do all the hard stuff that's going to come with it. And you just gear up for that. And, and making that decision rather than sitting in limbo somewhere with your partner, well, maybe if you make, you know, if you take two steps, then I'm going to keep up with you and I'm going to keep supporting you and I'll keep doing what you need me to do. You know, you, you don't get to make those decisions. You're all in. You have to be all in because they're never going to respond either um, in a good way if you're not, even if it's hard and terrible. So, yeah, you get to be the partner and you, and you better be all in or, or it, really, it just won't work. It won't work you making stipulations on it. You're all in. So you can see right there in the answer, the two answers we gave, why um, I... I see it. I see the value in having both Jackie and I here. I, I tend to go towards the why, and she t tends to go toward the what to do, and we need more what to do. I think, and that's why I'm glad she's here. Um, years ago, I was really struggling in some areas, and um, uh, a friend said, "Hey, I know a guy in Mesa named Al Els. He's a marriage and family therapist that works specifically with pastors, and I think he could help you." And, of course, my first reaction was, I don't need no stinking help from a, a psychologist, you know. And then eventually I came around, talked to Jackie about it a little bit, and her response internally was, yes, please go. But externally it was, yeah, I think that might be an okay idea, but whatever, you know. So she didn't push me into it. Uh, it's one of the best things I've ever done was seeing a, a psychologist, and I still see him uh, today. I don't see him regularly but I do see him occasionally, and he's been a big help. In fact, um, where's Moreland? I saw him, uh, Moreland, you know Al, right? And you know, he'll, he'll vouch for Al as well about what a terrific guy. Jim Moreland's a, a, an elder here at this church, and, and we've known each other for 30 years, and he can tell you the difference that Al Els has made in my life, um, being able to seek, uh, seek um, this kind of professional help. Uh, he eventually brought Jackie into it, Tell, tell a couple of quickly, a couple, a couple of stories about us being there together with Al. 
Um, it, it was just really good. Um, he, because he's a professional, he does this. You know, usually trying to handle something like that with each other is not. I mean, to some degree, yeah, you got to be there. But if it's if it's a bigger thing or something, you can't seem to just. Um, get past that same argument that or that same exact conversation where you literally say to each other, did we, we just said this to each other? <laughs> you know, if you find yourself in that loop and you can't get out of the loop, um, that's, I think, a really good time to see somebody because they're trained at this and they, 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 they just dive in so fast to exactly what is going on and make you, and really make you think. And so I think that's why I liked it. Um, and it was good for us to um, have a third party that neither of us picked or chose or knew. And he would say, he would, he would listen to us for, he'd ask us questions and he'd listen to us for a little while and he'd say, okay, this is who you are and this is who you are. And he would nail that because I guess he's, you know, this is why he gets paid, I don't know. And then he, and then he would um, ask us questions that we would answer in front of each other and it was like, oh... You know, it would be like, oh, yeah, you know. And it was, I mean, it was just so good for that. The first time I met with him, 20 minutes in, he looked at me. He, he's known me 20 minutes. And he looked at me and he says, you're a negative self-talker, aren't you? And I said, I've never heard that term before, but it sounds right. And then we just, <laughs> and then we just unpacked. It was amazing. He's such a quick study. And, and I'm sure he's not the only one. I mean, all the schooling and the, and the experience and stuff, these guys can really help. These women can really help. Uh, we have a, a uh, um, counseling practice that we work very closely with. Unfortunately, they're in Gilbert and Peoria, but we send people there all the time, and they come back and they say, that was amazing. That was really helpful. And they worked with us on the money and the insurance and all that stuff, and they, and they were really helpful. I couldn't believe that talking to somebody who's trained in this could be that helpful. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, I would encourage you to, to hang in there. As Jackie says, you got to hang in there. This is what you signed up for. But those of you that are reticent to go and get professional help, I would encourage you to go and try it out. Mm -hmm. And we have resources. We have, an, we have another guy in Scottsdale that we send people to who's really terrific uh, as well. So we, we can find people who can help you with this stuff. We're actually three minutes over. So what we're going to do is we're going to stop now for the evening and let you go get your kids and take off if you want, but we'll stick around for a little while. And then uh, next week, um, we're going to get into some Seasons of Life stuff and some Ephesians 5 stuff, but what we might do is, is maybe pick back up with some of the questions from tonight and then get into that Season of Life stuff, because I'm sure you have some more questions up there, don't you? You have one more? Okay. We'll, we'll start with that question next week, uh, okay, and then we'll get into the other stuff, okay? So let me pray. Thank you all for being here. I hope this is helpful. I know it's a little scatterbrained, but um, I, I, I think we touched on some pretty important stuff tonight. Uh, Lord God, we thank you for your grace and mercy, and I pray for the uh, people who are here tonight, and I pray for their marriages, uh, and I just pray for their hearts, and that they would be uh, humble and willing to submit to your will and to your wisdom. Uh, God, thank you for redemption and Redemption Arcadia in particular. And for the community that we have here, thank you for the people who worked hard tonight to provide the child care. Uh, I pray that you'd bless these marriages, bless these families, and bless these couples. Uh, and God, that you would get all the glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.